episode 32 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and this is our first in-season edition of the 2017-18 season. Uh, Daz, how have you been enjoying the basketball so far? It's good to have it back. Like I am a caveman who just saw the invention of fire, Daz. <laughs> I'm just so happy the NBA is back. It has been. I mean, I don't know if we're just overreacting and we'll have our own overreaction theatre a bit later, but it has felt like the the stand of the basketball has been better this in this first week than I can remember it being in past seasons. Has it felt like that to you? As long as you don't live in the greater Arizona area, then yeah, <laughs> it has been. <laughs> well, we'll get to, I mean, that, that was one of the points. I mean, when I watched the first couple of games and I really got heavily into it the opening night and then the next day, which was a full slate of games on. And I, there were so many good games and really close finishes in, in some of the games. There were some bad things that I, I wish I had never been, had, had to watch, like the Gordon Haywood injury, which we'll get into. Uh, and then there were some really ugly games and some ugly performances. Uh, and that sort of got me thinking about maybe our first segment that we'll have in season. We'll try and do this every week just as a bit of a takeaway from the last week of the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'll throw to you first. I mean, what was the good things that you saw? And even beyond the, those first couple of days, what, what in, the, in the first week, what's been some of the good things that you've seen so far in the NBA? Well, the first one, I can't remember the first game I watched now. I think it might have been, I didn't see Cleveland-Boston mercifully. Um, and God... God bless you guys who had to watch Gordon Hayward live, see that happen. Um, so I watched, obviously, Houston and Golden State. And the first thing I noticed as, and I've been watched it for the rest of the week, the rules changes. Mm. The subtle little things where there's no automatic timeouts at the first ball stoppage in the second and the fourth quarter. Right, That's been great. Just this nice flow with the second units, in the, particularly in the second quarter I'm watching. That's, that's a nice flow. Um, and the timeouts at the end of games. Man, we'll get in. We just saw one today with the um, Minnesota against um, OKC. What a phenomenal game that was! And the um, the no timeouts at the end of the game, and the fluidity and the excitement that happens. And when there's a live ball play, and you can't just stop the ball, it can't call timeout after a live ball. So that's been fantastic. So the rules changes are a winner. I saw a couple things that are working out in the rules. So it's, it's I'll leave it neutral to good, but it's the um, the continuation foul where they're trying to clamp down on when you're on the ground, you're on the ground and, you know, trying to get away from this, you know, fake flailing, aiming at the hoop, throwing it up from 39 feet and getting three free throws. So I saw a couple of calls that kind of went the wrong way. But well, I, the I like rule on that is, just to interrupt you, the rule on that yeah, is now you need to be in a shooting motion. So if you get fouled and then go into your shooting motion, that's no longer continuation. So well, you need know to so, be already in your shooting motion. Now, we, we want consistency on that, that call. And yeah. I think what you're trying to say is there's been a little bit of inconsistency already. That's right. And I've been, seen it as well. Yeah, so it happened to be a Giannis play where he'd he'd gotten hacked, never took another dribble, went up and hit a layup. And they said, no, he was he was on the, you know, he was in the motion of going up. So he was, you know, you know, Giannis, he can cover like 20 feet in two steps. Mm. And so, you know, again, that, that call didn't affect the game, but I just happened to notice it where, you know, the intent, they'd sort of lost it there. And um, so Kid lost his appeal to it. But the spirit of those rules are going the right direction. And I'm not going to have any referee bashing in game three of the season with the new rules. So, but I like where that's headed. Mm. So yay for the rules. Um, 
I'll I'll keep this to eleven seconds, but yay for Giannis and Tedagumpo. <laughs> we'll get on holy, to Giannis. Don't holy mackerel! Um, this is in the good category. Wow, has that been fun? Um, other thing good, I liked Utah's defense. Is probably as you predicted. I was a little bit less bullish, but so far so good with Utah's D. Um, and Rubio's fit there, so I like what I've seen. And the other one who jumped out at me, another good one was Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon, like he's going to the rack mm. and dunking the ball and playing with aggression. Now, granted, um, micro sample set overreaction theater kind of blending in here, but he had averaged 2.3 free throws per game last season, and he was having, having eight free throws a game the first couple days. I didn't see what he did in game three. I think he had, he had six free throws. So, so still, right, from two free throws a game last year um, to eight, this is attempts, by the way, up to eight. I just like, I go, who, who has in, inhabited the body of Eric Gordon? You know, so I loved what I've seen from him in sort of new play. Well, he's looking and like then, Clippers version of Eric Gordon. Yeah, he looked like the fountain of youth, Eric Gordon. And my last good Daz, which I was impressed by, as good uh, as an October regular season, you know, interconference game as you could have, Bucks, portland 113 110 with big shot after big shot. But what I liked about that, Nurkic. I think Nurkic went to the uh, um, Eric Spolstra School of Fitness. He looks like he's lost tons of weight. And remember at the end of last season, we were almost – you know, bagging the poor guy out, him and um, Donuts Lowry and, you know, bag of cheeseburgers, LaMarcus Aldridge just running out of gas. And he was gas in the playoffs, wasn't he? Nurkic just couldn't finish. And he looks like a new man. He's lost a bunch of weight. And he looks really fit. And I love how he's fit. Um, so I've only seen Portland the once, but he fit beautifully. Well, in, in his defense, I guess he didn't play a lot of basketball. He wasn't playing a lot of minutes before he went to Portland. And maybe it's hard, it's harder to stay in shape when you're not playing 25, 30 minutes a night, uh, you know, in the, in, in the NBA. So, um, yeah, that well, might've been, that might've been part of Fair uh, enough. I'm just saying if I, if I closed my eyes in June and opened them up here in October and I, I just like what I've seen from Nurkic, but you're probably right. Off-season regimen, probably likes where he's at, motivated um, to be with the new teammates. He's being used in really, really – he's using being used in smart ways. Um, so I just really like what I've seen from Nurkic so far. And I, I just like that when you uh, – like in, in contrast, when we started hearing it in summer league for guys like Marquise Chris, who showed up heavy, you know, to the off-season program – or sorry, into the Vegas summer league. He's looked heavy again. So I go, it's not – you know, it's not a fait accompli. It's not a mm. given that every NBA player works their tail off, right, and, and does that. So kudos to Nurkic for for doing that. So that was just my – those were the six that jumped out at me. But there's a lot more to like, but those were the, the six I liked. What well, about let me you? Let off that a little bit. I'll go to my yeah. good in a second. I just wanted to ask you a question about Giannis. Is it time – I think that the scouting report needs to change on Giannis a bit from what I've seen. I think people are backing off him too much. And I'm seeing they're giving him sort of two and three foot sometimes, particularly in the Portland game. They were just backing down. And I understand the theory is when you back off the guy, you're daring him to shoot a jump shot. But what it's actually doing is it's giving the guy a head start. So he's taking one, two dribbles before he even gets to the defense. And he's running downhill at that stage. You're not going to stop the guy. He's a freight train. And, I mean, he can get to the rack 
in two steps from the three throw line, sorry, from the three point line, and we saw that in the in the Portland game, all burn on a fast break. But I, I mean, he's got. I, I'd love to see. They need to introduce this to All Star Weekend. Who's got the longest stride in the NBA? Because Giannis would have to be very, very close to being up there. So I think teams have got to find that happy mood, middle ground at the moment. Otherwise, they're just not going to be able to stop him. And obviously, you can't get too far up into his face because he'll blow past you. But I think teams are backing up a little bit too much at the moment. Um, and that was, you know, and, and, and I think if they don't start. So they're getting up a little bit closer to him and taking away some of that space. He's just going to continue to go to the rack uh, and he's not going to have to worry about shooting jump shots. I mean, are you seeing the same thing? I'm seeing the exact same thing. So I'm seeing them playing way off, just begging him to shoot a jumpers. And several things are different, right? One um, is his mindset um, where he's attacking it anyway. So last year, um, you know, MVP number seven, or seventh in MVP voting last year, so still very effective, but you could see him thinking through it. You could see everyone backing up, waiting to create a wall for him to drive, and you could see him the wheels grinding in his head, and it caused a lot of herky-jerky offensive sets when they needed Giannis to create a play. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, um, but you didn't know what to expect. So his mindset's changed where he's just attacking now. So he's like, fuck it. I'm not going to take the 21-footer. That's a bad shot no matter if I'm wide open, so I'm going to go after him. So he's attacking. So he's getting free throw attempts are way up. But what's happened is he's also you've probably you've probably seen it. Don't be fooled by what you see on his ESPN profile or NBA. It says still listen at six eleven two twenty two as his quote official weight. Um, I heard interviews with local uh, papers. He's up to about two thirty five two thirty eight. Mm-hmm. So he's put on a bunch of muscle. So he's just stronger, and so he can physically. He played some bully ball lowers his shoulder and just says, you know what, I need to get two points. Does He's not, not, I'd never say LeBron strong, but he's trying to get like that, right? Or he's just, I'm going to get to the rack. And then with that, his with the strength I've seen is his stamina is up. So again, we saw that, that Herculean effort in game six against Toronto fall short because he missed five or six free throws in the fourth quarter. Now you're seeing him, he's playing 39 minutes a night and he's hitting 80% of his free throws, 78 or 79% you know, so far. So his stamina is up. So mindset strength and he's just got, he can do it now in the fourth quarter. So someone needs to tell him if he misses free throws, it's not the end of the world. Do not punch chairs because I freaked (laughs) out when I saw him punching that chair. With his right hand. I was like, I remember, I think it was Joachim Noah. And obviously you remember Stoudemire as well, uh, getting angry and punching things and and hurting their hand. And that's, uh, that's not what you want to do. So just, uh, just sort of uh, wind back that one a little bit, Giannis. We love the passion, yeah. but maybe um, maybe punch Jason Kidd in the shoulder or something as you walk off. Or the chair. Find, I'd say just find a Miritich and just, you know. <laughs> That's too soon. Too, why, soon. too, too soon? Too <laughs> soon? Okay. But no, it'll be fun, right, to watch if now. I think what we're anticipating as Bucks fans is like, okay, three games, three days of tape. What's next? I think it'll be interesting to see if they start, you start seeing double teams out at 20 feet from the hoop like is that what they're going to start doing so we're a little excited over there in milwaukee land but uh yeah. you're, yep, they're backing off and he's like all right I, i'm not a good shooter so 
I'm going at you. Well, here's some of the good. I've got a couple of goods I wanted to, to share with you. The first is I'm calling it LeBron the free safety because what I'm seeing in Cleveland at the moment is because they've now got Jay Crowder there, Jay Crowder's the guy taking the best offensive player on the other team and LeBron's just sort of scouting around playing that free safety role and just reading the defense. And he, no, the only player that probably does it better is Draymond Green, but LeBron's got that the physical presence and he's just going to, I don't know what his record for number of blocks in a season is, but I've got a feeling he might, he'll certainly push it this year, may even beat it because I'm already seeing a number of blocks. He got a key block against Giannis in the, in the Bucks game that you would have seen. Uh, yeah. And he's just reading the play and he's just waiting there and go, and he's so quick and he's reading it so well, guys aren't even seeing him coming. They're thinking he's got an open layup. And there's LeBron just pinning it to the backboard. So we're going to see more and more of that. The other thing I liked from LeBron in that Bucks game was the dagger three that he had when he just got the ball at the three-point line, looked directly at Giannis, took a dribble, stepped back, hit the shot as if to say, yeah, you've got my attention, young fella, but this is the sort of shot you need <laughs> to hit if you yeah. want to get to my level. I thought it was just a great moment. It was actually a very good game, that one. I know the final score looked like a bit of a blowout, but it was a lot closer than the scoreline suggested. And it, it was, really was LeBron and Giannis trading haymakers for a lot of it. Yeah, they do bring out the best in each other. That was, a, But that was the Kyle Korver. Uh, the Bucks had like a minute. It was literally a minute of um, a call didn't go their way. It was a bad call, but, you know, play on. Cleveland got two free points down the other end. Bucks are still bitching about it. They commit a lazy turnover, and then suddenly – Kyle Korver hits three three-pointers like in 40 seconds or something. So a very close game, literally went to 13 points just like that. But um, but they backed it up and beat up beat up on Portland in the end the next day. But you're right. So just to continue that thread back to LeBron, is what I don't like. Can we go to – we got to go back to your goods, but while, I, while I'm on to it, yeah, yeah. is then the next – this wasn't even the second night of a back-to-back, Daz. That Cleveland had a night off and then played to Orlando at home. And again, the poor Cleveland Cavalier fans had to pay to watch the Cavs lose by 30, 28 or 30 to an Alfred Paytonless Orlando Magic. And so I don't, I don't know what that is. If that's just a, um, the, the the team just doesn't feel like they don't want to play that night. Um, but to go and smack Milwaukee in the mouth in Milwaukee on opening night, and then to back it up with an absolute egg. Um, I don't know if there's any way around this in the in the you know the rest era that we're in, and especially the famously uh, turn it off, turn it on calves. But I don't like that. Um, so anyway, I, I don't want to belabor. It's gonna. We've talked a lot about it. It's gonna happen more. The league's done more, I think, to eliminate or not eliminate, but to reduce the number of back to backs and have stinkers like that. But man, that couldn't have been fun for a for a paying fan. Well, that's the Cavs, and that's been the Cavs, and it really even goes back yeah. to the Heat. They've, they've just got that on-off switch. Some nights they come out and just lay an egg, and to be fair, the Warriors, and we'll get to them, they've sort of looked a little bit that way themselves in their first three games where they have sort of feel like they don't have, they can coast through um, some of these games yeah. and get through. So, um, And some credit to Orlando. Orlando were hot from outside that night as well, but scoring 88 points for, from Cleveland's point of view was certainly not good enough. Um, in that particular game. The other good thing that I wanted to get to was the rookie class. And after one of the the least impressive, if not the most least least impressive rookie class that I've ever seen uh, last season, 
this year, so many of those rookies, Daz, they just look like they're ready to play and they belong straight away in the NBA. Now, some of them are probably taking on a bigger role than what they're ready for, certainly Markinen in, in Chicago, Alonzo Ball taking the key straight away in, in LA, and that's you know been a little bit up and down so far. But I've seen Dennis Smith Jr., I've seen Donovan Mitchell, I saw uh, Fultz had some moments, Tatum doesn't look out of place in Boston, uh, Kuzma's looked okay in LA, had a really nice game today, brought LA back into the into the game. OG Ananobi, um, I'll tell you what, Toronto fans would be very excited um, to see the little cameos that they've seen from him. This is a guy that came in with a knee injury, weren't even sure. The, the first sort of suggestions was he may miss the first half of the season. He's come in straight away and made an impact. Um, I just love what I'm seeing out of all these rookies. And I haven't seen all of them yet, but almost every game that I've seen a rookie take part in and play minutes, they've just looked like they belonged. It's not outside of sort of Phoenix and, and the Lakers, which are just young teams. These other guys have, have looked NBA ready to me. I couldn't agree more. Um, I've, uh, I just want to almost highlight the the play I've seen. So the Bucks played. I've seen the Celtics play a couple times now, minus that that horrific game with with poor Hayward. But Tatum has really impressed me. He he doesn't seem. I now see what they what Boston saw is this very very high floor. He's just a good IQ kid. Um, the moments don't seem too big for him. So I I really like. I don't see if. I don't see the explosive like you see from Jalen Brown, but I love—I just love how he fits in. He's just—he just looks unflappable. So I think it's been quite remarkable for him to get thrust into, undoubtedly, right, a a bigger role almost immediately, literally five minutes into the season on a team with very big expectations and a um, and, and a fan base with high expectations. So, so far, so good from young Mr. Tatum. For sure. That well, I mean, you touch. We've touched on it a few times. I'll I'll move into the bad now. The bad for me really has been the injuries, and and we we would love to get through a season with injuries. Obviously, that's never going to happen. But we've had some bad ones, and none worse than Gordon Haywood uh, in the first game. I was I was watching the game, but thankfully I was sort of only half paying attention at that point. Not I, I sort of saw him go down and thought he must have landed on LeBron's foot inadvertently, uh, and. I sort of then put my mind to something else I was doing, then looked back over, and then I noticed that LeBron's got his head in his hands. The Celtics players are all huddled around, like Jalen Brown was in tears. The crowd just had uh, looks of shock on their face uh, because, of course, there had been a, a shot of his sort of foot lying at the opposite angle to his body uh, down on the floor. So it was a horrific scene. Thankfully, I didn't see that, and I'm sure people that did see it can't unsee it but it was an horrific injury. Thankfully, it's not probably as bad as what it first seems. He's certainly going to miss the season, it would seem. Um, but basically, a broken leg and a dislocated ankle. But it might not be as career-threatening or as hurt, harmful as career as, as we first thought. But either way, there's nothing good to come out of this for the Celtics. It's, it's just a, It was a horrible, horrible injury, horrible night. Um, to their credit, they sort of came back in the second half of that game, but it, it really did cast a pall over the entire first game of the season. Everyone's so excited to see basketball back and then see an injury like that. And since then, it hasn't really improved. I mean, Tudosic is out indefinitely with a foot injury. Uh, Jeremy Lin's knee essentially exploded, um, and I think you'd have to have real concerns about where his career goes from here. He's going to miss another season. 
uh, with a bad knee. Chris Paul out for the first month of the season with a knee injury. Uh, Kawhi Leonard shown limping onto an airplane. I'm not sure how there's sort of suggestions he might be playing up for the cameras, but uh, Kawhi's known for a few things, Daz. He's not known for his sense of humour, so I'm not sure if that would have been him joking around. But then I also think, well, if he's that injured, why are they taking him to Chicago? So there's a little bit of mystery surrounding Kawhi Leonard when he's going to be back, but... Uh, that that's really been the bad thing that's that's jumped out at me in the first week of the season. Now, whether you can point to a, a lesser pre-season that they had this year, I wouldn't think so. I just think it's been a bit of bad luck uh, on some of these guys. Yeah, certainly Hayward, freakish beyond freakish, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that that just that changes. Uh, uh, probably I'll talk about it here, but that just dramatically. Does that dramatically alter how the entire Celtics um, front office team, the entire franchise looks at its season? Because that changes their trajectory so so dramatically from a right 52, 55 win team to I don't know mid 40s. That's got to be a significant gap, right? Considering that right they've kind of gone the way of the of the Rockets and the Wizards, right, with all the trades and. Um, kind of skinning their bench to get the, you know, Kyrie and Hayward in, and so th- that depth now is just gone. So, anyway, that's gonna. I think it's gonna change the entire outlook for their well, their I think team. And they they're very lucky not to be zero and three because it was only a Shane yeah. Larkin three against the uh, Reddick missed one at one end and then Larkin hit one at the other that sort of turned that game. And they they were staring down the barrel of zero and three against Philadelphia. So it has not been a encouraging start. Um, which you'd probably expect given the Haywood injury. Yeah, you took the name right off my, the tip of my tongue. Was I go when Shane Larkin is is rescuing um, a game to prevent a loss? You, you probably think we're talking about the you know the Phoenix Suns or you know or the or the Pelicans <laughs> <laughs> who need um, any backcourt help they can get. But uh, yeah, it's just it you know as much as I dislike Danny Ainge, um, what that does to that franchise is man, that's got to make you rethink and. We hope he comes back 100% this time this year, uh, this time a year for now. But you just don't know with these things, right? You, you just don't know how guys will respond. So, um, yeah, the injuries. So that's obviously by far kind of the cast a pall over the season. The other ones weren't major, though. I think Paul, Chris Paul's got a bit of a not being really forthcoming about it. It's a bit of a, a knee, whatever that means. I'm not sure. Tia Dosich might be a little more. Severe, I saw that play, rolled his foot really hard. Mm. They're saying it could be a soft tissue plantar fasciitis hair rupture of some sort, which could take a long time to heal. Um, although, right, the Clippers have, do have a lot of depth this year. So um, the good news is that the Hayward is the only one of the, sorry, and Jeremy Lin, you called out, um, Touchwood, the only ones that have been really quite, you know, season-ending, I guess. But, um, yeah, not not nice to watch. Yeah, I think with the Chris Paul, the what I read was they've got a bit of a soft schedule for that first month. So they and and there may be some thinking of look, it's going to actually benefit Chris Paul to just obviously get the knee right, but also be able to watch this team close up and see how they play because in that first game. He was. I saw a lot of Chris Paul pounding the ball and just not moving the offense quickly enough, uh, certainly for what Dan, you'd normally expect from a Dan Tony team. Now, maybe that was a little bit of the knee bothering him. Um, 
and he couldn't sort of move as quickly as he'd like. But uh, I'd also think that he, he probably needs, if he can watch it up close, a little bit like what Durant was able to do last year with the Warriors, then there is a chance he's able to come in uh, more seamlessly to that uh, D'Antoni system. Um, and, you know, the fact that Eric Gordon started as well as he has, uh, has little lessened the blow as well of, of him missing games, and they've really picked up where they left off from last, last regular season. Yeah, well, well, just be real. There's no Pat Beverly now, though, so they're really thin. Um, well, really I said thin last week, there. of course, I said without Chris Paul, this is an ordinary, pretty ordinary basketball team. So we're going to find out just how close that statement was um, to reality. But uh, as I say, they, 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 their strength of schedule is one of the weakest in the league in this opening part of the season. So that was potentially part of the thinking um, with the Chris Paul uh, having the first month off, I don't think it's anything too serious, and hopefully nothing that's going to linger for him. Yeah. Um, and you know, hopefully Kawhi Kawhi's already been ruled out for tomorrow's game, but hopefully he'll be back um, sooner rather than later. And as I said, I, I think the fact that he's travelled to Chicago, you would think is some sort of positive sign that they think he may not be too far away. But uh, we'll wait yeah. and see on that. What was the bad for you, Daz? What, what did you see um, that you sort of? thought was a, well, bit you've, of a bad side of the NBA. One you've hit already is I, I captured what's bad is going to be Boston's depth. You know, Shane Larkin closing out uh, closing out games, so we've touched on that. Um, the injuries you've touched on, I had that as well. Look, the, the Pelicans roster, I watched a game today where they played um, the Lakers, and the, the guy they had in their team exactly eight hours, Jameer Nelson, basically bailed them out. They blew a 20-point lead just by being the Pelicans, looking around, being lazy, Sorry, go. I know it's been three games, but I can see a difference between Giannis and Anthony Davis and just their intensity. Anthony Davis just kind of coasts through games. He's just so fluid, and everything on offense comes so easy for him. I just just watch him, you know, kind of like a gazelle run around the court. But he doesn't do things to energize his team or or bring them back. When they were down twenty, and then they got to fifteen, and it got to ten, and it got to seven, he just he wasn't doing anything. Doing the same old, same old, letting double teams get in. So the bat has been the Pelicans roster, and I don't like, I'd be worried. I'd be really, really worried as Pelican fans. I just don't see intensity on that team. And I think uh, I was as sure as, as the sun rising the next day that Errol Watson was going to get fired. And he was, I am now as sure as day that Alvin Gentry is going to be the fall guy for this team. They just do not, they just intensity sucks um, from a team who should be playing with desperation. So I haven't liked Pelicans or anything about them or their attitude or their intensity. I also haven't liked Brandon Ingram. I don't like picking on a guy, but when you're drafted number two overall in the you know the city in a team like the Lakers, and um, you get outplayed by Kyle Kuzma again, um, I don't like what I'm seeing from Brandon Ingram. And um, like I don't want to single out him, but I'm sure there's other guys that it continues to jump out at me just how he he just under impresses. Um, and I don't like the, the Warriors' attitude. I don't know what's going on in the locker room. I don't, I don't know, but, um, you know, they, they lost that game by a tenth of a second to Houston, two-tenths of a second, right? Mm. And, and a very well-played game on opening night. Um, they then got kind of punched in the mouth by, um, by Memphis, and that was the game where Curry goes up for an innocuous layup, makes the layup, and he might have got hit on the wrist. He might not have but he flips out and throws his mouthpiece, his mouth guard at the referee, gets teed up and ejected, and then Kevin Durant goes and 
mockingly flips off people by like rolling the bird, like like he's a like he's a teenager in a playground. I go, that is this just doesn't look like champions. That looks like children. Again, this looks petty. And then to have on top of it to have Draymond Green come out publicly and saying, "Oh, I need to talk to my guys. That was stupid. You can't get ejected out of games like that. That's hurting the team." I go from the guy who nut punched someone to lose the NBA finals. So I go, I want to say this is all a, have they just creating a straw man to break it down to go, oh, we've got something to overcome, but they're not like LeBron that way. I just don't, I don't like what I'm seeing from them. Just why? I think they, they like to play with a chip on their shoulder and I think they take it a bit too far, but I, I don't think we've ever seen, I mean, you've got a, a superstar player that has, uh, shadow Twitter accounts so he can go online and either defend himself or or criticise other people within the NBA and only surrounds himself with sycophants who want to crawl up to him and tell him how great he is, uh, not mentioning any names, Bill Simmons, uh, for Kevin Durant. And then you've got Steph Curry who thinks he should get every call every single game of the season. And, I mean, if you were paying big money to sit in row one uh, to watch a game, and Steph Curry threw his mouth guard at you and it hit you, I think you, you'd you be likely to go all Bobby Portis on his ass, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, that's... I guess it's just so... The old I mean, phrase it's just is... It's petulant, like, isn't it? It's petulant. Yeah, it's like, act like you've been there before. I mean, you've got the, the biggest contract in NBA history, you're a two-time champion, an MVP, and the, a team punches you in the mouth, metaphorically, and I go, you're playing Fizdale in, in the... And the Memphis Grizzlies and Gasol and Conley. I go, and what do you expect? So I just don't, I don't like it. You know, I'm like, do they expect that they're just going to get gifted 74 wins this year? So, yeah, I'm not worried about them. I just, I just don't like it. Act like you've been there. Act like oh, a champion. I just think they're an unlikable team, and I, I don't know if they're just grabbing hold of it or what they are. I mean, you know, what? Why, how could you like? I mean, other than if you're a supporter of the team, you always have. But from a neutral fan's point of view, how can you admire this team and the way they go about their business? Um, I mean, that, that that's just a bad look, throwing your mouth guard at officials. Cause it's you just unprofessional. A, it's, just yeah. a, it's, a, it's literally a tantrum. Like, if, if I was coaching under 10s and they did that, I'd, I'd send them over to their parents and say, take them home for the day. Well, this is why I go, there's a double standard. I go, if that was Boogie Cousins, you'd have everyone, every talking head, every pundit coming down like a ton of bricks, right? Uncoachable, trade him, right? So I go, it's just not, I, I don't like the double standard. Now, that's, look, Steph Curry's a pretty, pretty model citizen, right? And his history does count for something, but he's just gotten off nothing, there's nothing. No one's talking about it. And all, you know, Durant was, you know, upset, and all, you know, it's all about Draymond. So kudos to Draymond for taking the, you know, the spotlight, putting on himself. For I think he knew he was being a hypocrite, right? Um, and just trying to take the attention from it. But I just well, I think I Durant's worse. I mean, Durant literally thinks everyone should just roll out the red carpet for him, never say a bad word about him. And tell yeah, him he's, how great he is all the time. He's I mean, JaVale just, fragile. Yeah. He is a very, yeah. very fragile uh, mentally. And I think there's going to be a point where some teams try and push the envelope on this. I'm not saying it's going to necessarily work, but I, th- I think you might see a bit more of it. Uh, certainly from fan bases. I mean, fan bases are going to continue to get on them and try and get under their skin. I mean, forget if Boogie Cousins did it. Imagine if LeBron did it. Imagine if LeBron threw his mouth guard at the referee. Yeah, good point. The, the You'd say something's wrong. What, what's wrong with him, right? Yeah. He'd be in the hospital. 
get his brain examined. He's had a brain snap. And, yeah, he'd be crucified. So, look, I, I don't fully – something's going on, right? We've talked about this a bit last year where last year was all work for them, right? It was they had no choice when when Cupcake joins – an MVP joins a 73-win team. You kind of go, duh, right? Like, okay, win your championship, pat yourself on the back. Now, wasn't this year supposed to be fun? Like, okay, you've, you've had – you've done your thing. You, you've had an off-season together now and go out and have some fun. So – Something's going on there, Daz, because I also remember two years ago, um, I was like the rest of the world, like, oh, my God, this is such a beautiful brand of basketball. How on, how could anyone have a season like Steph Curry had two years ago? It was just so remarkable, right? So I, I, I don't forget how fun that was to watch them emerge and to just play Splash Brothers, right? It was video game fun. So it shifted. And it doesn't just come with being a champion, right? It's not. It's not just that. It's not just people want to knock down a champion. It's their behavior has quite is quite different, and it's just it's also not Steve Kerr. So I go. That's why it's just odd. So I, so I put it in my bad category. Just it's just something looks bad. Well, the it, other thing I'd say. This reminds is, me of when the. Yeah. Anyway. This is a team that reads everything that's written about them. They are hyper aware of every single bit of media that comes out, and I think there is a bit of frustration knowing that. Whatever we do, we're not going to get a hell of a lot of credit other than if we go 16-0 and in the playoffs and then we can put ourselves in a conversation, one of the best teams ever. So I think, And I think that's frustrations coming out in the court. And starting one yeah, and maybe. two, um, that would have been very frustrating. And don't forget, even against the Pelicans, they were down 17 in that game. So admittedly, they came back and won reasonably comfortably. Um, but that is the Pelicans, one of the bottom sort of half of the teams in the NBA. So they have not started well. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and the flip side of the bad, so that was the last one of my bad, was just this attitude, was the um, was Mark Gasol going all Moses Malone on on the Warriors. Now, we've been talking about this for pretty much all last season as the one formula, right? one formula to attack the Warriors if you have someone who can just pound it inside. So that's what we thought, in theory, the Boogie and Anthony Davis, with the right coaching, and the right wing defenders around them could be terrifying in a seven-game series. Well, we saw it on one game here in October. Marcus Saul was an absolute beast, right? 34 points. He shot like 16 or 18 free throws. They just pounded him. He hit the glass. He was effective inside. He missed like five shots all day. And I think, right, then that physical nature just, I think, must have, again, to your point, probably a bit fragile if you can't handle an October game against a common opponent you see all the time. They're probably a bit fragile, but I liked I liked that um, Memphis executed that plan and pounded them inside and got under their skin, got them ejected and won themselves a game actually quite almost quite comfortable. Well, their big man mm-hmm. rotations are starting to hurt them too um, because their starting center is one of the worst players in the NBA. And then your Jordan <laughs> Bell hasn't looked great. Uh, so far, he's looked okay, but looked like a rookie, a bit out of his depth. David West looks like he's done to me, and I know um, we sort of said that last year as well. And Jabal Magoo's a head case as he always has been. So, and don't forget, I mean, they lost the first game by point two of a second, but that, that a lot of that came down to Nick Young coming off the bench and scoring twenty three points. You're not going to get that too after yeah. often, Nick Young. So they could, you know. Um, 
well, they're one and two anyway. But I, I think that that game, Houston, were a little bit better than them, what the scoreline suggested. Um, when I sort of look back on that, yeah. Game. Uh, so but that uh, was that was just rough because I mean, Kevin Durant had six turnovers and he looked. He was just trying to force everything. Zaza, I go if, if you can't play Zaza against Marcus Saul, again, I think he played 12 minutes against Memphis. He, then they had to sit him, and they couldn't play McGee because he can't do anything on the other end anymore. And you're right, David West looked looked like an old man, David West. So they got some flaws, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put this in the overreaction theater and start to go, ooh, is there something wrong? I just don't like the behavior. But little little glimpses of if you can't play Zaza against Gasol then why, what's he doing? Don't you need a new starting five? Um, and again, Iguodala is also, he looked terrible. Well, he's got he back was, problems still, so he missed the first oh, he does, with back okay. spasms. But, um, that, but he played 30 so. minutes against Memphis and was dreadful. Mm. He didn't make a shot, three fouls. Played 30 minutes and basically did nothing. Well, Livingston didn't so, look very good in the first couple of games either, so they've, they've certainly got some, some bugs going to iron yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, and they haven't started the season, as we said, very well or, or looked very happy about what they're doing on the court. Um, no, no, fun. no fun. Let's move on to the ugly. And the ugly, to me, was some of the young teams uh, in the NBA. I think there's going to be some bad teams. I mean, as, as good as the basketballs we've seen so far, I think there's going to be some really bad teams in the NBA. Now, Phoenix have won. Her Watson's already been fired. Uh, thankfully, let's see if that makes any sort of impact. But they, they were horrendous in really all three of their first games because the loss came to the Lakers, who have also been pretty poor. Um, I didn't watch uh, any of the games today. I saw they made a run and, and fell just short against the Pelicans. But uh, they were really awful against the Clippers in that first game. It was men against boys. Um, they looked completely lost on both ends of the court. And I thought, gee, there's going to be a few games like this um, throughout the season. And, and Chicago's obviously looked as per advertised. They've been terrible. Uh, the Knicks, really, outside of Pozingas, who's had a good start, put up some numbers. They're going to be horrendous. So, and the, the Hawks, I watched the Hawks and the Mavs. That was a really forgettable game. Um, <laughs> that's not one I'm going to be telling the grandkids about. So, the, I, I think there's going to be five or six really horrifically bad teams in, in the league this year. Um, thankfully, and at least you, and when we thought, particularly with the Lakers, I thought, well, maybe there might be a bit of fun there with Lonzo and the young guys running out. But the problem with having a young to, a team that young um is that when you come up against an experienced team like the Clippers, it was just stark. And the, the Clippers won by 30 or whatever it was on the night. And it really, it, the, the gap between the teams was far larger than that and probably as large as what we saw between Portland and Phoenix. And obviously the Clippers put Phoenix through the, the ringer as well. Phoenix obviously a very young team also. And Eric Bledsoe doesn't even want to be there apparently. And uh, Watson, it doesn't matter if he wants to be there or not, does He's gone. Yes, this was the um, before Watson was fired. I had my my eyes don't lie test <laughs> to say the I saw things on the basketball court that you would be furious about if you saw it on your high school team, right? I mean, I saw such the defensive rotations were embarrassing, right? And they had, had finger pointing, so you had one, you had no leaders. Um, and two finger pointing on rotations that didn't exist, and underneath that is when Tyson Chandler is trying to tell people what to do. 
you had guys basically turning and walking away from Tyson Chandler. So the defense was an absolute mess. Um, worse is the effort part of that. So part of that go, okay, new faces, Jackson's there, Bender's getting a bunch of playing time, you know, give a little bit of a break. But then I was watching them basically not. I wrote down ugly Phoenix closeouts, which is implied that they were closing out. They were not closing out. Hmm. They would sit and they'd kind of, oh, you'd be five feet off a guy, and they'd literally raise his hand. You'd turn and watch the ball go over the head. One didn't close out. Two watched the ball go over the head. Three didn't turn around to make sure that there was no long rebound to box out the guy who shot the ball. So they didn't give any effort um, on the defensive end. And I go, okay, that's very worrisome. I go, okay, well, I remember the Phoenix of March and April when they were one of the fun NBA League Pass tankathon teams, right? When they benched um, Chandler and Bledsoe, they were pretty fun, weren't they? Mm. With Chris doing stuff and Euless running around and Booker scoring seventy, and they just kind of was wide open, fun, you know, making shots from over the place and just playing free and fun, right? So I thought, okay, let's see what the other on the other end. No, you got Eric Bledsoe playing off ball and Devin Booker bringing the bring it up the court, and then. I saw the set where Booker brought it up. Bloodstar's running off a bunch of screens. The ball didn't get to him. Booker throws it over into the corner to Marquise Chris. Marquise Chris is standing in the corner behind the three-point line. Six-foot-eleven Marquise Chris. Um, he airballed it, stood there, watched it go over the rim, slung his shoulders in his head, and did not run back. Right? And um, it was the Clippers. He ran down the other end and, mm. and just put it in. So I go... Holy cow. Um, and then worse, two, two or three possessions later, again, Booker handling the ball. Like, who decided, we had Earl Watson decided that Devin Booker, didn't he watch him score seven points in Boston? He probably should be coming off screens, but they got Booker handling the ball, bringing up the court. He dribbles down the sidelines, gets himself airborne, could tell he had nowhere to go, just literally with his left hand, like flung it like a Frisbee in the middle of the court, surprise, surprise, three on break, three on one break goes down the other end and Earl Watson then calls a timeout, right? And I go, I watch that play and I go, I watch that sequence of plays. That was all in one game. That was all the Clippers game. And I go, that's it. That coach has either completely lost his locker room and what's happened is the players are usurping him. They're like, uh, they are literally going out of their way to make childish plays on the court um, to usurp their coach and get him fired or he's a horrible coach who's put them in terrible positions to not succeed. So I go, either one of those two things had to be true, and lo and behold, we wake up and watch him fired. Now, I'm not done with my ugly rant yet, because what's happened, right? As you, you already said, um, <laughs> Eric Bledsoe with the greatest <laughs> NBA tweet ever, which says, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and he didn't take it down. He left it up. Right, I think of 53,000 likes, no doubt, after they saw Phoenix play. But now where do they go? I go, you already damaged Tyson Chandler and Eric Bledsoe by benching them healthily, and not for five games at the end of the season. They were benched for a month, right, mm-hmm. during Tankathon. So you've already dipped deeply into your relationship capital with your two most veteran, arguably your two most important um, players on your entire roster. And now your most valuable trade chip and most important player and your starting point guard, Eric Bledsoe, has just tweeted, I don't want to be here. Where do you go? So where does this new interim coach or 
I don't know if he's interim or not. Where do you go? How do you begin to start this repair? And it is going to be, this could be, we could be looking at one of the worst teams in history. Now, I know Philadelphia had some pretty brutal teams, but unless this guy is a, is a, a miracle worker and or they, they lean in and trade Bledsoe ASAP, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, you got to so, feel for Chandler. I mean, Chandler's on there on the... On, on the proviso, or on the understanding that they were going to try and compete at, at that time. They were a player in the LaMarcus Aldridge free agency, oh, and they might wish they might be thankful they didn't get him in the end, but they were certainly a player there. And the, the expectation, I think, from Chandler's point of view, is they were going to continue to be a player in free agency. Now, I guess in their defence, they have tried to make some signs. They went after Paul Millsap, for example, uh, in the latest off-season, so they have sort of tried to secure means. They just haven't been able to get anyone. So now they've got, but he would have been pretty upset, you'd imagine, to be shut down the way he was last season, um, although he was one of the head cheerleaders on the bench for some of those fun games that we watched. But you certainly got to feel like, for a veteran like Tyson Chandler, they have to be put through that. Um, and then to come out this season and then watch that sort of an effort. I mean, Marcus Chris comes on in the first game and has, I think, five fouls in uh, 10 minutes and, and I don't think put up another stat. So uh, that was a really poor effort from a, a second-year player. And at, at the end of the day, it has to, the buck has to stop with the coach. I mean, you can't just sack every single player in, in the in the place and say you're not doing it. So, But to your point, I'm not sure what who's the best coach to bring in here. I mean, is it a guy with some experience in head coaching before that may be able to guide them? Or do you go with a young coach as well, which they've sort of already tried to do with Earl Watson? And that didn't work out either. I think you go with a young coach here and you're really running the risk of uh, just the blind leading the blind type of thing, which is, I think, part of what we saw with Earl Watson. But if you bring in too hard a taskmaster, like a Scott Skiles type of a, 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 a personality, I don't think that's going to work either. So I'm not sure. I mean, I think out of the box, maybe a Mark Jackson. I remember when Mark Jackson came, the Warriors, they were a terrible defensive team. A very young team, but he did at least turn them around, and they were one of the best defending teams in the NBA by the time he left. And he did develop some of the young guys, albeit uh, didn't get along with some of the people um, in in the front office and some of the other backroom staff. So, but I'm not sure. I mean, what what are your thoughts in terms of the type of coach? And I mean, even expanding at Suns and looking at Pelicans as well. What's the type of coach you'd, you'd like to see? Well, there's a, there's a couple coaches? of layers here. It's a great question. There's a couple of layers. As one is that. You think about taking a half step back. What, where is this franchise at in its development, right? And I think um, most would agree that this team is Josh Jackson um, and Devin Booker. Are you probably pretty sure, not sure fire, but those are the two blocks you want to build around. And the jury is out on on Bender. Um, certainly, the jury looks like it's out on Chris. He's had a bit of regression, and and TJ Warren, I think, is a nice support player, but he's not a you know, the franchise anchor. So you've kind of got those two guys. And so you need to start with the question of, okay, what's best for for those two? And you have to very quickly reassess if what's best for them is to have a point guard like Eric Budso, uh leading them, right? And handling the ball and uh, leading the offense and leading the charge. If your answer, and, and obviously talking to Bledsoe's camp and, and seeing how things work and looking at the trade market if that answer is um, yes, they've got to find a way to get Bledsoe happy. 
because um, they don't want to trade him for whatever reason or can't get the value because he's now just, they shouldn't say he's torpedoed their value. Earl Watson and they together have torpedoed his value and the franchise benching him for the last month has made perhaps Bledsoe look more surly than he is. That for me is the first big question is how would you develop Jackson and, and Booker? Is you need a you need a point guard, right? They need a guy handling the ball. Whatever clown decided that Devin Booker should be initiating playmaker, that must have been Watson. I can't I just can't believe they made that decision. That's almost as dumb as Aaron Gordon being a three. So that's where I go, Daz. I, I think it's a coach who can put the right type of system to get the best out of um, out of Jackson and Booker whilst trying to figure out enough of a locker room cohesion to, you know, fill out rotations and give guys minutes and those sorts of things. So for me, it's all about what do you do with the point guard position? And it now so happens he's your most valuable asset, but your most disenfranchised one. Mm. So this interim coach probably has to be the answer for a while, but I'd like to see something where um, you'd hate to see this interim coach because interim 79 games Right. At what point then do you make a, a coaching change? Um, so I think that this, I don't even know the name of the new coach, Toronto, Terrazzo, uh, uh, he's been an assistant on the staff, probably has to see this out for, I don't know, until there's, a, for me, a, a point guard decision. That's yeah. what, it, that's what there's I think. Like, yeah. You're right. There's some roster decisions they probably still need to make and then move ahead with the coach. But do you want to make the new coach to, to be a part of making some of those decisions as well? Um, is another question I guess they want to ask themselves. Yeah, I think it all hinges on what do you do with what do you do with Bled? Because if you if you trade him for future draft picks, and you're like, great, now we need to have a system where Ulyss is running the running the point, or um, are you going to bring in like a yeah yeah I don't know. What about um, the Pels? I mean, if if the Pels, we think your Gentry's gone, do we look at? Um, Look at maybe a Jeff Van Gundy there, like someone you, you really want someone that's a bit more established, uh, or even a Scott Skiles there. I, I could love to see Scott Skiles and Boogie butting heads in New Orleans. <laughs> that's hilarious, or Mark Jackson for that matter. Um, yeah, look, uh, I to, not in defensive gentry. Phoenix's major problems now are coaching. New Orleans' problems is front office and concept of the roster and philosophy of what makes sense around um, Boogie and Anthony Davis, because they certainly haven't been able to do that, you know, at last year's trade, trade deadline or this offseason. Um, they look like they're poised to lose 50 games again. They might win 35 if they get, if they get, if AD go, goes off, but um, they're certainly looking way out of the playoff race, aren't they? So I think they've got roster questions before coaching questions, but Gentry will be the fall guy. Um, I don't have a good answer there, Daz. I, mm. I really don't. Um, well, because I think again, similarly, what's going to happen is before they get a new coach to think about how do we make the playoffs, they're going to be faced with a boogie decision. Because again, most tradable, most valuable asset, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I think Bledsoe's got another year after this one, so a bit different. But um, right, this boogie to Washington thing isn't going to. I don't think that rumor is going to slow down. Um, I don't think it will. So I think that's a, you get to look at your rosters first, and I think the coach. And uh, I don't know. Do you see Do you see New Orleans the same way, or do you think they could a new coach could get more out of? I think a new, what look, that I think they've is. shown enough in the first couple of games to suggest that the boogie Anthony Davis thing can work. But I just I think to your point earlier, there's there's a lack there's a general lack of intensity around this team. 
um, that maybe a coaching change might might bring about something different there. Um, but there's just, there just seems to be a lack of le- overall leadership and a lack of a general direction. Um, and maybe that's down to some of the personnel that they have around the club. Uh, I always liked Gentry. I thought he, was a, he, he did a good job in Phoenix. Uh, obviously, he got a lot of credit for the Warriors being an assistant there as well, but just hasn't worked for him um, in New Orleans. And at some point, you've got to bite the bullet and make a change. So I wouldn't mind seeing him you know, have a chat there with Jeff Van Gundy and see if he's he's keen to come back and give it a go for a year or whatever. But again, maybe him and uh, Boogie Cousins is the big the big what if, isn't it? Um, if if a coach can come in and um, maybe if Mike Malone gets sacked from Denver, you can bring him back the Boogie Whisperer. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess I'm in the camp of uh, I don't think having Boogie play the Brook Lopez tippy-toe around the three-point line is, is the answer. I know he's got the ability to shoot, but he is so valuable busting heads inside. He's got such beautiful touch around the basket. And when the team just doesn't surround him and Anthony Davis with shooters, and you have to pull Boogie out into the Kevin Love stratosphere, out where Chris Bosh had to play for two years, out where they thrust Brooke Lopez, you, you, you declaw him, basically. And so that's where I go. Someone has to get creative with how do you let Anthony Davis play roam free with the four, let Boogie play a true five and stretch every now and again, you know, some nice PNRs, but they just got him out. They got him out there in the corner, Daz, like mm. just camping out. I just don't like Boogie on the perimeter. I like his ability to shoot, not tippy-toeing around the perimeter. So I'm now maybe talking myself into maybe there's some clever coaching that can um, can get a hold of those two and do something with it, but I. Well, there's a bit of your turn, my turn about their offense at the moment as well. Where a little bit. It's 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 AD's turn. So Boogie, you stand in the corner, and and vice versa. And of course, Drew Holiday there not being able to shoot doesn't help uh, space the floor and then give them the the best opportunity. Dives. I think they've already might be some buyer's remorse on that contract uh, as well. I mean, we've talked about the Washington New Orleans trade. I mean, who says no to say a Gortat and, and Odo Porter for Boogie and Omer Ashik. Well, I was talking to a um, a diehard, believe it, I've got one, I've got a diehard um, Bullets stroke Wizards fan I was talking to today, and he similarly has the, you know, the, the opinion that um, that John Wall and Boogie are so close that he'll be, they just, they'll have, they'll bring out the best in each other. And so he's like, whatever they can do, he said even including he probably can't get rid of Beal. He said that's probably the sticking point. Where if you're New Orleans, you're asking for Beal. If you're Washington, you're saying, you know, maybe Otto Porter. But they're trying to do like an Ubre plus picks, right? Mm. Um, which which I don't think is going to get it done unless Boogie does something to sabotage his value. So, um, what was your proposed your purported offer with? Well, you said Boogie and Ashik. So you're getting rid of Ashik's contract, which is a positive for New Orleans. You're bringing back Porter, and you're getting Gortat as well. And I could see oh. Gortat playing with with AD. Yeah, look, who says no? That's a good question. That's a good question. That's probably a probably the most natural fit. It all depends, I guess, on what they what does New Orleans value Boogie at? Where they got a pretty good lottery pick. A Sacramento got a what? Buddy Heald, who was the sixth pick. And like the eight pick, right? So the pretty two decent assets. I think we'd very safely assume that Otto Porter is way better than Buddy Heald. So it's probably the most valuable asset out of them. 
Yeah, look, I'd be hard to say no to if you're. Um, well, the thing about Otto Porter is too, even though he might not be the the greatest player, but when you look at the small forward and the threes in the NBA, all of a sudden he becomes much more valuable because it's almost the most valuable position for yeah, each team to fill yeah. because it's very very difficult um, to get a really good three, and and the guy plays some plays some good D, and obviously has. Um, improve his three-point shooting year upon year. So I think he's a perfect fit next to Anthony Davis. And yeah, I think, I think that makes sense for both teams. Um, now that you mentioned, I think there'd probably be some, some future assets going both ways. If, yeah, that's um, true. there's certainly some draft picks in there. In there. Yeah, and as I said, yeah. but to get off the Ashy contract for New Orleans as well would be absolutely fantastic. That's why um, I think then if you've got another like a future first coming back. <laughs> there may be, yep, that's yeah. right. With, with, from New Orleans, like, I don't know, 2021 or something. You yep. put one out there if you're going to take Ashik back, because that's a real that's a real sabotage, right? We know how Washington already doesn't have a they've had a thin bench and now they've got Ashik's contract. I think he's got one more. Can you believe he's got one more year after <laughs> yes. this one? Oh no, so oh, no. that's an albatross. Right? But at least he's um at least he's not um, the other the other ugly I had right. So um, aside from Phoenix and the Portland or sorry the um, the Pelicans roster. Uh, I think we hinted at the ugly already, but just it's easy to pick on the Bulls. But when you've got uh, in practice, of you know, scrap that escalates to uh, teammates uh, busting the jaw and the cheekbone. Whatever happened to Miritich? He got he got blasted by Bobby Portis, right? And so again, you don't wish that sort of thing on any team, um, unless it was um, someone punching Tom Brady, and I'd wish it on them every day. But you, you just you just hate. You can imagine that situation now is um, I've also heard that uh, Miritich has not reached back out to Portis's uh, gestures to text message apologize. So he's, you know, I don't know if he's in the hospital or not, but you know, he's out for a long period with um, sounds like some pretty serious facial injuries. And so you had to one suspend this guy Portis for eight games. I don't know if that's long enough or right about. I think eight games is probably about right. Maybe ten would have sent a little bit harder message, but message sent, right? Uh, it's bad behavior, Bobby. Um, and then Miritich out for, God knows, I think they're saying at least a month, possibly more. It's, what happens when he comes back? How does that go? And how does how does F. Hoiberg handle that situation, right? Where he's already trying to, to, to balance K. Felder, K. Dunn, right? C. Payne. Right, the, the the 2018 carousel of horrible point guards, and who's going to play now? He's got arguably his two most valuable um, forwards on his team, and Portis and Miritich, who can't stand each other and can't talk to each other. So that's just ugly. It's going to be ugly when it comes back. They'll gloss it over, and I guess the NBA were were lucky that the Bulls are going to be so bad. We won't have to talk about them very much. But again, Freddie Hoiberg with that incident rocketed up my list of coaches who's he's still probably behind gentry but he's getting close to who's oh, going to looking at their box score the other day you want to talk about great roster constructions please this is a team that had five nominal point guards play in their first game what against toronto Tell and chris dunn and campaign weren't even on the roster that day so they literally have seven point guards on the roster and none of them are yeah. any good. You can never have too many, isn't that the case? 
So I just shake my head. Look, it, it, that's just it, to me. It was a horrible story, but it does just sum up the state of Chicago sports, particularly the Chicago um, NBA franchise, the Bulls. Uh, oh, really, yeah. really yep. terrible start to the season, but not not, yeah, just, not at well. all surprising. And uh, there's already been some, uh, as good as the season's been so far, there have been some petitions to uh, burn the footage of the San Antonio-Chicago game uh, to never be seen again because it was not, it was a tough slog, I can tell you, Daz. Did you watch it? 87 to 77, uh, 29 and 10 from LaMarcus Aldridge, so... Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. Well, did he beat up Paul Zipser? He well did. P. Zipser uh, couldn't go with him, and uh, must have felt good. Yeah, no, it was good. It was a great performance. Well, let's move on to Lamarcus Audrey. We we're going to. I'll push um, overreaction theatre just a little bit there, and we'll talk about the Lamarcus Aldridge contract extension just quickly. Uh, so Lamarcus Aldridge signed, uh, opted into his steal next year, and then signed a three-year, seventy-two million dollar. Uh, deal with the to stay at the San Antonio Spurs. So, Daz, what did you make of that? I mean, I, I know from a Spurs fan myself, I sort of looked at it and it's confirmed my suspicions, I guess, that the Spurs are much higher on this team internally than I think what people are externally. I think it was just they want to double down on this, we're going to play big, we're going to play slow, while the rest of the, the league is going faster and, and smaller. Uh, and as I say, it was really just a doubling down on that tactic from them, and they looked at the free agency market and thought, we're not going to get anyone better than LaMarcus Aldridge for that money, we may as well keep him. And I think, they're again, I think internally, they're more happy with LaMarcus Aldridge's production than probably what a lot of Spurs fans are and a lot of casual fans are as well. So, But what did you sort of think from a outside looking in, not as close to the Spurs as I am, at, at that contract? Yeah, head scratcher to say the least. Like you know, probably I was on the camp of, I was hoping they'd do a, sort of a soft reset, with um, you know, getting letting Powell go, or finding a buyout for Powell in the offseason, letting him go sign somewhere else, and uh, you know, Pop and Manu coming to some uh, man love agreement where Manu retires so they could get a bit of youth and right try something else, get some free agency. I don't know who they would have targeted, but you know, replace um, uh, Paul and Manu. But then you re up them and then bring back um, recently blown Achilles, Rudy Gay, and you know, Tony Parker's coming back. I, I, I'm befuddled. I genuinely am befuddled, Daz, where I, I guess I hear the logic that they're trying to just go, you know, keep the keep smart, old, big, slow players um, who are really expensive. And I just, how... How that's a strategy, I will. Um, I well, will I think first... it's more about yeah. building a roster and saying this is going to be our roster. This is what we can afford. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I couldn't. But I mean, I watched the, the I'm first game though. Yeah. against Minnesota, and it was like they're playing in molasses. Uh, they, it was the slowest game in the NBA, and it did not surprise me at all. And if you can believe it, the Chicago Spurs game was even slower still. Uh, they're just playing at a glacial pace. And it's going to be interesting to see because, as I say, they, they honestly believe they were a chance of winning that Warriors series last year before Kawhi went down. Uh, I, I don't share that view even as a, as a Spurs fan, but that's where they, they think they, their best chance, I guess, to maximise their potential. And um, 
win another championship is uh, to, to stay in this slow, old, high IQ team. Um, and certainly, I still think they're going to be very good in the regular season. I think Lamarcus Aldridge's defense has been a bit underrated, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they actually do with this. Um, what they actually do with this contract as it goes on, whether they look at uh, at buying him out at some stage, or whether he actually they, they're going to be paying him twenty million dollars in his year thirty six, or his thirty six um, year mm. year on earth. So, uh, mm. I've got. Uh, I, I don't, and, and there's also obviously they are showcasing him at the moment without Kawhi, so there is that opportunity to trade him, albeit later in the season they can't trade him for six months after he signed this contract. So um, there's going to be a bit of back and forth there, but it was a, it was another one for me where part of it I was a bit of head scratcher, but another part I wasn't that surprised because as I say, I think um, Pop and, and Coach Bassuna and um, RC Buford are a bit higher on this team than what other people are and a bit higher on this style um, than what other people are external to I the, think that to would be team. an understatement because mm. if you watch the um, the defensive um, prowess of Laurie Markinen, Robin Lopez, Jerry and Grant, Paul Zipser, Cristiano Felicio, Daniel Nawaba, Kay Felder, and Darnell motherfucking Valentine, and the Spurs go one for twelve. They made one three pointer. But they only took that... twelve, Daz. Like that's a that's a very low number in today's NBA. It's a very threes. low number. Right. And they got them all of eighty seven points is what my point, right? Mm-hmm. Against a team who couldn't who was just dealing with again, we just talked about the ugliest event, um non injury related event in the NBA so far with the poorest knocking out um Miritich. That team is not interested in doing much of anything, and the Spurs, Spurs put up 87. Like, you know, I think you're going to have to get used to that. So I, it's a befuddling. I go fine for this year, but why? Why now? Like, why in the middle of October would you do an extension with Lamarcus for three years? I just, I there's information we don't have about something. So to say the least, they're higher on these players, but. How is this a good idea for 2019, 2020? I just don't, I don't get it. So we'll see. They're, they got a track record. So mm. <laughs> they kind of win 50 games no matter who's on the court. Oh, so they keep winning. They're All 2-0, right. So I was gonna say they're two and zero. They so keep winning. We'll keep going. So let's go move on to a bit of overreaction theater. So talking about two and zero being a great record this time of year. Um, the Spurs, the number one team in the West at the moment. So let's. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's move on to some overreaction theatre. I'll give you my first one. Jonathan Simmons is going to be six man of the year, Daz. He's killing it off the bench. Orlando at the moment. They're two and one. Uh, now, I'll say this about the win in Cleveland. I mean, that's a signature win for that team. I mean, it's it's not overly surprising what we've seen from the Cavs. But to go into Cleveland and not only win, but really uh, kick their tails the way they did uh, was fantastic. But that, that bench unit's looking a little bit frisky, particularly with... Um, with Jonathan Simmons coming in, he's shooting the ball well. We know he plays defense. Uh, and it seems like Vogel's worked out how to sort of use Vucevic and, and Biombo and how to stagger their minutes effectively. So it's been, a, been an encouraging start, I think. Um, they did lose to the Nets, but the Nets are going to be a team that they're going to come up and surprise people, I think, from there. The, the Nets have also well, started to. They pounded one. the Heat, and the Heat, and the, you know, the Heat always play. So. That's yeah. right. So they're good pounded wins against the Heat. The heat pounded and, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, the Nets are two and one as well. They're going to play the fastest style in the NBA this year, Daz. Uh, you talk about the Spurs playing at a glacial pace. No one's going to play faster than the Nets. So if you want, if you if you enjoy that fast style of basketball, and D'Angelo Russell's just playing a fast forward um, every single game, so he looks like he's going to be fun to watch. I think the Nets are going to be a, an interesting. Um, league pass team even if they're not going to necessarily win a lot of games um, but what's your over any other overaction theory the things that you've seen so far um, well Giannis getting chanted for MVP in the second game of the year at the Bradley Center so I'm like alright calm down calm down yes he might be a, he'll probably be a top five vote getter but come on can we let him play more than three games um, overreaction theater you know, I say some overreaction theater has been also the everything around Lonzo Ball. Oh, my God, what's wrong with him? He had a horrible first night. Have we overlooked him? Are they going to regret not taking Dennis Smith? I literally heard that shit mm. coming out um, out, of, out of, I don't know, probably some national punditry somewhere. And then a couple nights later, he had like, uh, you know, some nine assists and some nice plays and hit a couple threes. And, oh, okay, he's back. And I go... I, the overreaction theater is the overreaction theater, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm already already over that bit. Um, overreaction theater, I think we talked about, I think overreaction theater, Golden State's got problems. I don't like the behavior, but I have way too much talent to have any problems. And maybe my overreaction theater would be almost, God, creepily on the same, I was going to say on the same creepy Orlando team, but there was a Mario Hazonia sighting. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, I did see that. As I say, as an overreaction theater will be comeback player of the year or most improved player. Um, Hazonia, which game was it? Was this last one? It was one before. Anyway, he had one of these games where he went off for, I think he had five three-pointers. And this guy had been left for dead, hadn't he? Left for absolute dead. And, um, yeah, Hazonia's come out and... Something's something's well, it's right. It's nice home. to see a sign. It's more than we've seen from Brandon Ingram in the season and a bit. It's more than we've seen from Brandon Ingram. That's right. So there's my overreaction theaters. Mario Hazonia wins. Do they have a comeback player of the year? No. No, they used that, to. That's I the think. NFL. Yeah, that's the NFL. Yeah. So we'll call him most improved player, Mario Hazonia. I had a big <laughs> uh, moment. I've already mentioned him once, but I'll mention him again. OG Ananobi when he came out against. Uh, against the Bulls, albeit the Bulls, uh, in the first game, and just a couple of dunks and hit a corner three, and I thought, geez, this is a guy that wasn't even supposed to be playing. He already looks fantastic as a rookie. So that's a guy I'm really looking forward to watching uh, for Toronto. I think that Toronto yeah, bench unit yeah. now with CJ Miles, that's going to cause some problems. I'm almost, <laughs> dare I say it, Daz, I'm almost talking myself into Toronto again. So please talk me off the ledge. So I don't get disappointed with another sweep. They uh, coming around. I told you. I go, they've got this untapped upside. They do. They do. Well, CJ Miles just looks like a baller. Like he's just got the look of a basketball player. You know, some players have Doesn't that look he? when they come at that physical specimen. Um, from a negative side, my overreaction would be OKC. I've not liked. They look really discombobulated. I guess it's not that much of a surprise given the new pieces. And I mean, Camelo wouldn't have had much time to. Um, acclimatised just yet. I think the interesting thing to watch with them is just how uh, big a factor the no-canter is in terms of their uh, offensive rebounding, because that was a big part of their success 
really the last few years uh, has been just panning those offensive boards. I don't think they're going to have the ability to do that anymore um, without Cantor there. So that's certainly something I'm just going to keep an eye on. Um, and just so I, mean, I wasn't even going to worry about looking at it today with only sort of two games or three games in the season gone so far. But uh, it is something that's going to be interesting to watch, I think, going forward. But not really liked what I've seen. I mean, I know you sort of saw their game today and I was going to actually open with by saying it's Andrew Wiggins' world, we're just living in it, Daz. But what did you sort of see from what the Minnesota OKC game that you watched a bit of today? Well, I've seen Minnesota twice and I've seen Oklahoma City twice. Oklahoma City is playing the... Um, they're doing a bit of your turn, my turn, and everyone's going to watch Ross. So I haven't seen actually much different, to be honest. They look like they did last year, where it's still a lot of 1-5 pick and roll. So Adams coming up and rolling hard, and Carmelo just standing over there waiting for the ball to get passed to him. He's playing the you know the Oladipo, Roberson you know stand in the corner and wait roll, which I didn't like. And Paul George looks like he's already had to sacrifice the most, mm. which we hinted at in the off season, didn't we? Where there's not a there's not alpha. Carmelo's too alpha, you know, to not get his right, not not get fed. So, um, so. Clunky, yep, they're working it out. But, uh, again, Russ was playing hero ball and pulling it off, making crazy shots down the stretch, taking every shot. You know, if you could measure usage rate in the final two minutes of the game, I think you'd be close to 80, <laughs> maybe 90. It's just move away, everybody. So, worryingly, that's more what I'm seeing in Oklahoma City. Um, more reaction theater, I'd say. Not overreaction, but reaction theaters before like five minutes before Andrew Wiggins hit his miracle 35-footer off the glass um, to win the game, um, I saw Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns try to defend a pick and roll, and you could have you could have started the Benny Hill music. It was, they both got spun around. Russell fucking Westbrook, right? And so Wiggins is actually on him. He doesn't fight through the screen at all because then it's hit by and just sort of stops. Carlton Townsend doesn't hedge, then turns inside. He turns his back, turns his back to Russell Westbrook. So one, you've got Wiggins who's defending him, not coming over the top of it, getting stopped cold in his tracks, and then no hedge by the seven foot Carlton Towns. He turns his back to chase um, Stephen Adams. What happens? Russ White rises up, wide open three, bang, ties the game. Basically uncontested. Three by Russell Westbrook. Well, it was the and third one he hit. Tib- I'm basically the same play every time. Thibodeau was, this is a minute to go, 30 seconds to go. Right? We're talking crunch time. So I go, and Thibodeau was livid, absolutely livid. Um, and I saw similar plays from um, from Andrew Wiggins where um, he, won't, he won't block out, like he won't turn around and, and he lets offensive rebounds go over the top of him. Um, he's also just terrible trying to move the ball, but when you need an athletic play, ta-da, here comes Wiggins to soar in for a, a put-back rebound or to make a 35-footer. So I'm, again, more worrying signs for like we talked about. If Tom Thibodeau in this season with Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson can't get Wiggins to play with some intensity and some smarts, it just probably isn't going to happen. And again, early signs in two games, I'm not seeing it. If it's an athletic play, great. Where he doesn't need to think, doesn't need to plan, doesn't need to communicate, doesn't need to make a decision. 
just go make an athletic play, he'll be there. But to make a smart play or a heady play or a high-intensity effort play, it's not there. So kind of reaction boring and overreaction theater as I'm genuinely worried about Minnesota's ability to play any kind of defense, which they just don't have nearly enough shooting to overcome, right? That just embarrassing, like Jabari Parker embarrassing lost sort of play where I go, I'm sorry, Carlton Towns and Wiggins, you, you can't, if you don't know how to, to hedge Russell Westbrook, you know, in the fourth quarter, and you get so out of your own head and spun around, that's worrying. So that's, that's more than coaching. That's effort. That's awareness. That's that's all kinds of things going on. Well, so. you can see Jimmy Butler sort of expecting them they're going to do A and they go and do B. So he's expecting them to come around the pick and he's sort of going and taking the, the other man. And uh, next thing you know, Russell Westbrook's wide open or Camilla Anthony's wide open or whoever it is. So he's sort of getting a bit frustrated because he knows Tibbs' system so well. These guys, this is their second season, isn't it? They should be picking it up well because Tibbs' defensive system really is like the D'Antoni offensive system. I mean, when it's run well, it is the best system in the league defensively, but they they just have no oh. commitment to it, it seems. No, so I go, then I'm going, this is going to be fascinating, right? So this is the... Um, he had a full year last year with both these boys, right? So this is year two with them. And again, very, very worrying signs early on, even though they're two and one. Jamal Crawford bailed them out um, against the Jazz a couple nights ago. Talk mm. about bailouts by the old men. Um, uh, Jameer Nelson bailed out the Pelicans today, and Jamal Crawford absolutely bailed out um, the Wolves against the Jazz, and then the Miracle 3 by by Wigan. So there are two deep three-pointers from being 0-3, as I'm looking at with the with the Wolves as well. But um, it's it's will Thibodeau continue to be Thibodeau and play Thibodeau-style ball with players who so clearly cannot play what he needs them to do? They can't do it. Mm. Like, what's he going to do? You're going to put play Gorgie Tang 30 minutes a game? No, right? You're not going to bench Carl Anthony Towns. You're not going to sit sit Wiggins and what let Shabazz Muhammad you know, pick up pick up Wiggins' minutes in crunch time, or whomever they even have a wing defender. So worrying, worrying signals. I know it's three games in with, with Butler, but this is year two with these guys. It's it's worrying. Hmm. Well, let's move. We, we might talk about – I had a few questions about those, but we've sort of covered the, the areas I wanted to cover within those already, Daz. So we might move on to the Aussies in the NBA segment. We promised it last week we're going to look at Ben Simmons' first week in the NBA. Uh, 0-3 start for Philly, so not the greatest start in terms of win-loss, but G. Ben Simmons has looked the real deal. I mean, have you have you been able to watch much of him thus far? I watched a bit against the Celtics, and I watched a bit against who's opening white. I think that was the, that was the Wizards. game number one. It was a wizard, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, fluid. I'm, I was so shocked, right? Like, I think... I had uh, mystery expectations. I was wondering, last time we saw Ben Simmons, right? Again, I closed my eyes, and and last time I saw him was playing some awful brand of awful college basketball at LSU, right? That's the last time we've seen him. And then then to have a year off, I'm going, oh, God, you know, what are we going to see? And it looked like he had missed a beat, Daz. No. Um, That first game, um, he move the ball. Uh, he was confident with his decision-making. He was 
He got to the spots he wanted to get to. Um, he didn't take any stupid, you know, four sort of three-pointers or anything. Um, what did he have? It was that first game 18, 10, and 5, right, with only one turnover. So had the ball in his hands a lot. Five assists, only one turnover. And you know, he rebounded probably better than I remember his ability to rebound. I know he's a big guy, but, man, he likes to get in there and, and, um, and mix it up. So I loved what I saw from Ben Simmons. Um, so I actually saw most of the Wizards. I saw bits of the the Boston game, but I loved what I saw. What did you see? Have you been have been, I see, been tracking yeah, a bit? Look, obviously the shooting is going to be a bit of an issue, but they're playing him similar to the way they're playing uh, Giannis. But he doesn't obviously have the physical tools that Giannis has, but he has the hoop IQ, so he can just he'll know where guys are on the court at any stage. So one, and once he gets into that paint. He's either going to finish himself uh, or he's going to find someone open. And, and Bayless and Reddick have both been missing some open shots. Uh, but it, trust me, Daz, he's been finding them. So his stats are only going to get better. I think he's he had at least five assists in his first three games. I think he should yeah. have even more than that because they've been missing some shots uh, that he's been getting them. So he has looked uh, every bit as advertised. Um, and he, even down to the fact that he, the shot isn't, hasn't been great. But there is still time, obviously, to develop that. We're only three games into his NBA career, so um, we'll remain to see. Yeah, but it's, it's also not—it's also not Brandon Ingram broken, right? He's not trying to shoot twenty-one footers, right? He's getting this mid-range, and they've got that little push shot and stuff, right? So, you know, he's you know seven for fifteen, four of eleven, seven for sixteen. He's you know he's not shooting lights out, but yeah. it's also I'm seeing. This one I'm seeing is that uh, unlike Ingram. He's going to pour pick on this poor guy. Is Simmons' shot are coming in the flow of the game? I go for a guy playing his first game and played in an awful college program and missed a whole season. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe it. He's got that fluidity, doesn't he? He's a bit, bit Lonzo-like, bit Anthony Davis. That he's just so fluid, moving around the court, particularly in the offensive end. And just a what a great help rebounder to have a guy like that who can. He's gone 18 and 10, 11 and 11, and 18 and 10. So double-digit rebounds all three games already. So um, anyway, I, I couldn't say enough accolades. I'm like, wow, there's our rookie of the year. That just it looks like it's going to be a blowout as good as rookie class has been. Man, to do that your first three days, yeah, that's something. Uh, to me, it's a fire complete. Unless Wonderful. Uh, touch what he gets injured. Um, that that's, would seem to be the only thing that will stop him. He, he's well, he's been healthy. Play. Remember, they they kept him out. They, I mean, I think he's been healthy since. Oh, he could have played March, last year. February, he, yeah, yeah. He could have played forty. Oh, probably that's probably a bit too much. But maybe twenty twenty five games yeah. last year he could have played. But yep. uh, they just they, they were happy to have him around the squad and work on his shot and work on other areas of his game. And he comes in uh, as a rookie, really looking like almost a finished product. Um, We've obviously still plenty of upside. He still reminds me of Grand Hill. That's the guy I always go back and think when I first Ooh. saw Grand Hill in his Piston yeah. days. Um, there's just a little bit of Grand Hill about his game. Um, and gee, you, if, if he reaches that sort of heights um, and hopefully stays injury-free, um, who knows You know what, what, what uh, level Philadelphia as a team can reach. Um, well, you're not wrong there. about the Giannis comparison, which means he's if he's going to be impactful on the offensive end beyond this you know, like a third option, you know, on a 15-point-a-game, guys, he's going to have to find ways to get to the rack. But I go, it'll be interesting over time to see if, if a healthy Embiid sticks around. 
just how these two guys coexist. Well, um, Embiid hasn't played very well, I have to say, in the first couple. No, of No, he hasn't. He's, he's he's forcing stuff. Like, and it's it doesn't look like it's in the flow of the game. He's, it looks like he's in his head a little bit. Mm. Yeah, this, he nearly this, broke the internet with his first touch of the season when he tried to dunk, and Jason Smith um, came <laughs> out, came at him and uh, fouled him. But uh, outside that, yeah, he's, he's shoot, as you say, just forcing a lot of stuff up and actually taking over at times, taking over the point guard duties from Ben Simmons is walking the ball up the court and then wanting to shoot a three. So Didn't like uh, that. No. Didn't like that one bit. Yeah, There's been some, some bad signs from Embiid, but hopefully that's just a little bit of growing pains uh, from him uh, so far this season. And, and, and to your point, they can find a way to coexist and Fultz can sort of fix his shot, and then you can have a really good one, two, three punch there um, with a lot of really talented role players. We'll see what the NBA brings for us this week. Now that there'll be more ups and downs and twists and turns that we'll be able to speak about next Monday. Will we see Kawhi with this week? Do we think, or is that a mystery? Oh, is it a mystery? The Spurs are playing their cards. Did you see the footage where he's walking on up to playing? I did, but I, I I didn't see the limp like everyone else saw. So I again I. It was almost me look like the, you know, that I see the um, Yeti in the, in the distance. You know, it's like, is it Loch Ness or is that not Loch Ness? So it was a strange footage. Like, who's got that footage, you know? Yeah, it but, was strange. Look, I, I, don't, I think uh, maybe not this week. I, but, I think maybe next week. I, I think they'll they'll be happy to sort of rest him a little bit longer. Because um, again, it's a but bit he's of a traveling soft with schedule. the team and everything, right? He yeah, traveled with yeah. him to Chicago, so it must be that bad. There's no way he'd be traveling if he was that far away. I wouldn't have yeah. thought so. Um, they've got a bit of a homestand against some Eastern Conference teams coming up, so not the hardest, uh, not the hardest schedule coming up for the Spurs either. No. So there may be some Houston thinking in that where. They, the strength of schedule is a bit, a bit weak, so uh, we'll, we'll let Kawhi take his time before coming back in. Good one. Well, let's hope we see Kawhi, and we've got um, a couple of revenge games, like we said, Boston-Milwaukee. Can I miss that one? Yep. So they get their second game already, and we see OKC Minnesota play again next Friday. So that should be good. Some neat little already early season rivalries going. So um, should be a good week, Des. Okay. Thanks, Des. We'll talk to you again next Monday. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Bye. Mate. Bye.